Well, you got preached to last week, didn't you? Were you blessed by Pastor Sarah last week? Thank you, Lord. So many good reports have come from it. Um, and she began something last week that I believe the Spirit of God would have us continue. We're now all the way into November, if you can believe that. November, which means we're knocking on the door at the end of this year and getting ready to transition into a new one. But I like this time of year. Anybody else like this time of year? You get a kick out of this? We're coming into that fall time, coming into holiday season. And of course, we start off with Thanksgiving and moving right into Christmas. I think some people have been in Christmas since late August, but that's fine too. Uh, I'm just thankful to be through with Halloween. Is there anybody else that's just thankful all that has come? You don't have to drive by people's house and see that anymore. Sorry, am I being too honest with my opinion here? I'm just saying we're thankful, thankful to be in this season we're in. But you got to be watchful in a time like this, a Thanksgiving season, when, when you've got a day on the calendar, and that, that's the day you're thankful. <laughs> that's the day. That's the day that we say thank you. The day. But as believers, how many of you know our gratitude is supposed to extend beyond the last Thursday in November? Our gratitude is supposed to be a way of life. And uh, nobody in this world should be more thankful than people who have been saved, people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We ought to be the most thankful, the most grateful, and we ought to be expressing that gratitude all the time. And so I want us to continue with what Sarah began last week. Open your Bibles, please, to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And look with me at verse 16, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Everybody happy today? You glad to be in church on a Sunday morning? I missed you last week. We had a good time. I was in um, Oswego, Illinois, just uh, not far from Chicago, and ministering to some friends of ours, their church, some precious friends of ours. We've been seeing them uh, for a lot of years now, going and ministering to their church and seeing the amazing things God's done in them, the way they've grown and prospered, the way they're reaching their community, and absolutely loved having the opportunity to get to preach the word to them. Uh, as much as I loved it, I missed you. Miss being in our church and being with our family, so it's good to be home with you today. First Thessalonians, we missed you too. That's I thank you so much. First Thessalonians chapter five. No, seriously, calm down. Uh, verse. No, we have to move on. Please stop. I appreciate it. It's so sweet, but no, 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 I, no, don't, uh -uh. don't even think about it. It's way, way too late for that. First Thessalonians chapter five. Okay, yeah, okay. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse sixteen. The Bible says, can you see it? I'll wait till it's up there. I want everybody to see this. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice for a few minutes on a Sunday morning. Rejoice when the band is singing a fast song. Rejoice when everything's going your way. Rejoice when you feel like it. Rejoice when it looks like you got something to be happy about. These are all bad translations. If you ever find a translation that says anything like that, don't you read it. What's the scripture say? Rejoice. Always. Always. That tells me something about rejoicing. It means rejoicing is a choice. You can make the choice to rejoice. Because if he's saying rejoice always, well, what do you know right away? Well, we live in this world, we walk through this life, and we know it doesn't always feel like rejoicing time. You don't always feel like it's time to be shouting and praising. You don't always feel like, it doesn't always look like this is a good time to rejoice. That's why it's a choice. Rejoice always, always. I know when I was a teenager growing up in youth group, junior high, early high school, I had some youth pastors and uh, anytime the band was singing a song that had to do with rejoicing, they would teach us and tell us again what the word literally meant, going back to the old Hebrew definitions of it and what you see when it's defined in the New Testament, how the word rejoice literally means to throw your hands up, to jump up and down, to spin around wildly. That's what it meant to rejoice. I ought to make you do it right now. <laughs> But there was something about 
our youth group when we got a couple hundred teenagers throwing their hands up, jumping up and down, spinning around wildly. We would do that same thing when it went into conferences. You got 500, 1,000 teenagers rejoicing before the Lord. It does something for you. And it'll do the same thing for you when you make the choice to rejoice. And how often should we be doing that? I'm not saying you got to do this everywhere you go all day, but there are times in your life you, you need some breakthrough. You got to break through some darkness, break through some depression. It doesn't look like it and you don't feel like it, but you need to get up out of that bed, throw those covers off, open those curtains, turn the lights on, throw your hands up, jump up and down, spin around wildly and begin to rejoice. You're going to break through. There's breakthrough in that kind of praise. And how often should we be rejoicing? Always. When it looks like it's a good time, when it doesn't look like a good time, when it feels like a good time, when it doesn't feel like a good time. And the times when rejoicing will do the most for you is when you don't want to do it the most, when you don't feel like it the most. That's when it works. Put it back up there for us. First Thessalonians 5. What did verse 16 say? Rejoice always. What's this next verse say? Pray <laughs> Can you, do you pick up on this theme here? He's talking about what should be going on all the time in our lives. Rejoicing always, praying without ceasing. Now that almost doesn't compute. Pray without ceasing. How do you go through your entire life without ever stopping praying? I mean, it seems like there's other things to do, right? You got to talk to other people. You got to, you got to attend to business. You got stuff that's got to be taken care of. How do we pray without ceasing? Well, here's one of the keys to praying without ceasing. You never stop listening. That should tell you there's this whole other side of prayer besides you doing the talking. When we think about praying, we think about us talking to God. We think about us making our requests known. Absolutely biblical. Very good. Do that. We talk about, we think about us talking to him, talking to him, talking to him. But there's this whole other side to prayer. It's the listening side of prayer. And the balance has been way off, church. We've been doing way too much talking and not enough listening. The balance has been way heavy on the talking side and way too light on the listening side. How do you pray all day long? Well, you start in the morning. Lord, good morning worship you. Thank you for this beautiful, wonderful day. I dedicate it to you and to your glory. And I'm asking you, lead me today. Guide me today. I want to be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. Put me there by the help and the leadership of your spirit. And then what do you do? You don't stop listening all day long, checking your heart all day long, looking inside, even while you're talking to somebody else. Correction especially while you're talking to somebody else. You ought to be listening to them, checking with him, listening to them, checking with him. What's the right response to this, Lord? How do I handle this? What would you say about this? What are you doing? Praying without ceasing. So it is possible, isn't it? Well, there's a lot of people that don't do this because they've convinced themselves, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to spend that kind of time in prayer. And I think as a culture, we get itchy in our own skin. You know what I mean by that? There's always somewhere else to go. There's always something else to do. And we, and I'll just speak for myself in, in times past, have had a hard time sitting still. Anybody, ever else, anybody else ever experienced that before? Just that ability just to go sit and be still. And we love what the scripture says in the book of Psalms, chapter 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. Don't you love that verse? Yes. People love that verse. They sew it into pillows. They <laughs> print it on t-shirts. But I think if you really stop and think about it, meditate on it, and especially if you read the verses around it, I don't think the Lord said it in a embroider this on a pillow kind of tone. I think what he's saying to you is be still, know that I'm God and you're not. Know that I'm God, not you. Why would he be saying that? 
Because when all we're doing is moving and moving and moving and going and, and trying to put this fire out and trying to fix this problem and just going, 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 going all the time, you may not say this or admit it out loud, but evidently there's something in you somewhere that thinks you're God. I'm the one that's going to fix this. I'm the one that's going to make this right. I'm the one that's going to handle this. I'm the one that's going to pay for this. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to. And you know what? If you'd stop and listen, you know what he'd say? Be still. Let me be God. I'm way better at it than you are. Be still. This is one of the ways we pray. Pray without ceasing. We resist that temptation to just always get up and go all the time. And there's pressure to do that. I was meditating on this uh, just over the last few days, and the Lord reminded me a few years ago, several years ago, Sarah and I were in England together. We'd been invited over there to minister at a church, Manchester, England, some good friends of ours pastor there. And we took several members of our staff with us. And before the meeting started, we had a day off, kind of a day in preparation and everything. And our friends invited us to take the train from Manchester to London, to spend the day in London, uh, see the sights, and just enjoy our time together. And so we did that. We, we loaded up. I remember packing my backpack that morning. We got on the train. We headed down to London, had a great day together, uh, got caught in the rain. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. We get back, um, back to Manchester late that night. I think the train probably arrived around midnight, got back to the hotel. The next day, we were scheduled to meet with some pastors, a group of pastors. We were going to have tea, which is what you do in England. We're going to have tea afternoon tea with a group of ministers and a group of pastors. So that morning in the hotel room, Sarah and I are getting ready. And I open my backpack to look for my passports because I'd put them in there the night before. And if I'm thinking back on it, I remember kind of a hesitation in my spirit about don't take those passports with you. But they say, you know, when you travel international, you need to have your passports, your paperwork. Well, I put them in my backpack and I open my backpack the next morning they're gone. Cannot find my passports, mine and hers. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but panic starts to set in pretty quickly. Yeah. And the, talk, the, the clock's already ticking. We got to be down the street and around the corner at tea with these pastors here in just a few minutes. I'm getting dressed, babe. I can't find the passports. Have you seen the passports? What did I do with the passports? I'm looking in the drawers of the hotel room. I'm tearing apart the bed. No time to really look. We got to get out the door and go meet with these pastors. So we're sitting there at tea. I got pastors from the UK, across England, Ireland. They're all talking to me and I'm sitting there looking at them. I'm not hearing a word they're saying because passports are talking to me. But where are those passports? What are you going to do about your passports? And these people are, I'm so gracious. I'm sure. Welcome to our country. So glad you're here. And uh, yes, okay, thank you. And I'm trying to focus, trying to pay attention. We were there, I don't know, an hour or two. I turned to Sarah, I was like, I gotta go find these passports. You stay, stay with the staff, minister to these pastors, I gotta go. I leave the tea room, and it was a short walk to our hotel in Manchester, England. And I reached out, I'll never forget this, I reached out to grab the long uh, cylinder door handle into the main lobby of the hotel. And as soon as I touched it, I heard the Spirit of God. I'm not talking about hearing voices out here, just on the inside. You know what he said? Before you look, pray. Before you look, pray. And I'm fighting panic. I mean, how are we getting home? We got two little kids at home. They don't just let you get on a plane. You can't just be like, oh, sorry, I lost my passport. Oh, you're fine. Come on in. No, it doesn't happen. So I go in the hotel. I plop down on the bed and I'm like, uh, Lord, I ask you to help me find my passports. I send out the angels to go get them. Holy Spirit, leave me. <laughs> In Jesus' name, amen. Barely even get the whole name of Jesus out of my mouth. Jesus' name, amen. And I start tearing that place apart. Have you seen movies where the bad guys come into a place and they're looking for the secret files? And so they've took, that was me in our hotel room looking for passports. I've got the mattress up against the side of the wall. Like somehow the passports ended up under the mattress, tearing this place apart. I don't know, half hour, hour or so later, Sarah and the staff get back. They're tearing apart the hotel room. Every one of us are looking everywhere. 
I walk with my friend uh, who's English. We walk back to the train station and he's going to help me look at the train station, go to Lost and Found on the way to the train station. You know what my friend so lovingly reminds me of? That if they find passports, they're supposed to cut them. People who work in public transportation, they've literally, literally been told if you find a passport, cut it. We try to prevent uh, fraud and we prevent identity theft. And I'm thinking, thanks, brother. That's what I need to hear. <laughs> We're at the train station. Lost and found hasn't seen anything. I come back to the hotel. The staff's still looking. You guys found anything? No, I hadn't found it. One of our staff members had already reached out to the U.S. Embassy in London to find out what do we do? We're supposed to leave here in a few days. I can't go home. We can't get home to our kids if we don't have passports. So they've already got meetings for us set up back in London. We're gonna have to meet there, get temporary passports. This is not a good situation. They're all in the other room talking about it, looking. I finally go back to the bedroom that I've torn apart and I plop down and get quiet. You know what I did? I picked up my phone and opened Twitter. That's how long ago this was. I was still on Twitter. <laughs> Haven't been for quite some time, but I, I don't know why I did that. I opened it up. I had a direct message from a guy I've never met before. Craig Sned <laughs> was his name. That said, Jeremy, did you lose passports in Manchester? I found them on a train, mate. Now, I could have avoided hours of panic, frustration, fear, if I had done what? Pray. But I didn't think I had time. I didn't think I had time to sit still and listen. But as soon as I did, I found out the Lord had already taken care of it. I wrote Craig Sned back, yes, yes. And we arranged a time to meet. It was, uh, I think, down near the train station because he worked there. And our pastor friends drove me down there and we're waiting in the parking lot and this little two-door hatchback thing comes into the parking lot, windows down, hip-hop blaring. <laughs> this guy gets out, he's got neck tattoos. Um, not who I thought had reached out in kindness and love and who the Lord would use that day, but he did. He did, sweet guy, Craig Sned. And he handed me the passports. He's like, yeah, we're, we're supposed to cut these, but I didn't. And he saw my name in there, started looking for me. He didn't even have a Twitter account. He created a Twitter account because he saw that I was on Twitter and contacted me. The Lord already had this. And I would have known that if I had done what? Be still. Just for a minute, man. Sit down, pray, get quiet, and find out I've already met the need. Be still and know I'm God, not you. Amen? How often are we supposed to be rejoicing? How much are we supposed to be praying, listening, without ceasing? Now, he adds one more thing to this, and I didn't intend to take all that time, but, but look at this. One more part here. What is it, verse 18? In everything, do what? Give thanks. Do you see the pattern he's setting here? Rejoicing all the time. Praying all the time. And what else? Giving thanks all the time. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, you're familiar with it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. These are things that are supposed to be happening all the time, all the time, all the time. Rejoicing, praying, and giving thanks. Now, if we're supposed to be giving thanks all the time, how much thanks are we going to be given? A lot. We are going to be giving thanks a lot. So I think that's what we're going to call this series, starting last week with Sarah's message. Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Go now with me, please, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. 
Somebody say thanks. thanks. A lot. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter nine. Start with the last verse of this chapter, but then we're going to back up a bit. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15. What's the first word of this verse? Thanks. Thanks what? A lot. <laughs> Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Man, I got hung up on that verse this week, and I barely got past it. I'm not sure I'm going to get past it right now. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Indescribable gift. Study this word and you find out it means it's a gift so big it's hard to even put words around it. And you might look at this and think, well, what is exactly he's referring to here? You might think, well, well, Jesus is that indescribable gift. And I would agree with that. Anybody agree with that? How do we even put words adequate words around what Jesus has done for us? How do we put adequate words around the way he saved us, the way he died and rose again for us? How do we put words around his precious blood that was spilled for us and put an eternal value on our lives? How do we say that, Lord? How do we adequately articulate just how good the gift of Jesus has been? Anybody else feel that way about Jesus? Where you can try, you can say he's good, but then it just, it takes more. And maybe we'll get into this as the Lord leads, but the scripture says, when you pray in other tongues, you give thanks well. Why? Because your own language will fail you when you try to express the, this indescribable gift of Jesus. How do I say it? Well, let me say it in tongues. When you pray in other tongues, you give thanks well. Maybe he's talking here about the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an indescribable gift he is. The standby, the counselor, the advocate, the intercessor, the one who takes the words of Jesus and gives them to you, the one who leads, the guides, that instructs, that corrects, that directs. What a gift. What an indescribable gift it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus said, I'm leaving but because I'm going, I'm going to give him to you. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that Jesus actually said, it's better for you if I go away. And if you were one of those disciples here in that, you try wrapping your brain around that. Better that Jesus goes away? I don't think so. But Jesus said, no, it is because if I don't go, the comforter won't come. But if I do go, I'll send him to you. Oh, it is so good to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is so good to be baptized in the Holy Spirit with the ability to pray in other tongues. And we'll talk more about that. If that's new or foreign to you, don't get up and leave. <laughs> Check it out in the Word of God. Very clear about it. But what a gift. Anybody filled with the Holy Ghost and would raise a hand and say, what a gift. What a gift. What a gift. What a gift. What an indescribable gift. Thank you, Lord. We could talk about any one of these things. Jesus being the indescribable gift. The Holy Spirit, what an indescribable gift. The Word of God, what an indescribable gift. But I think if you look back through 2 Corinthians chapter 9, there's actually specific reference here to the gift that he's talking about. Now, it would take us a lot of time, too much time to go through the whole thing, so let me just kind of summarize it for you. He was receiving an offering. Now, don't get scared. We're not going to receive another one. But Paul was receiving an offering. He had written to these people and talked to them about preparing their offering. And they did. And he, this is where he talked to them and said, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Uh, he who sows bountifully will reap bountifully. This is where he said, God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance to give to every good work. Think back to October overflow. When we were talking about overflowing with every good thing, that's what this is about, having an abundance to give. He said in this chapter, he has dispersed abroad. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now look, verse 10, he said, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you've sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Verse 11 says, while you, somebody say he's talking to me, are enriched. Really? The Bible says that? Yes. While you 
are enriched in everything. How many things does everything include? Everything. Everything. While you are enriched in everything, but what's it for? All liberality. He's talking to people that have received an offering for another group of people. And he's about to tell you what happened as the result of that offering. He said, you've been enriched in everything, enriched by God, but it's for your liberality, enriched for your giving. And now notice what he said here that this offering resulted in. He said, you are enriched in everything for all liberality. Verse 11, put this up there for us. Which causes, you ready? Which causes thanksgiving through us to God. We talk so much about being thankful and us being thankful, and that's right and that's good, but have you ever been a part of making somebody else thankful? That's where it gets fun. Oh, that's where it's, you're really living. Oh yes, we must be thankful and we must be giving thanks a lot. But Paul's talking here about the giving of these other people and how that giving caused them to be thankful. It, your giving literally causes thanksgiving through us to God. He said, verse 12, for the administration of this service, the giving of this gift, not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. He said, your giving did two things. The first thing it did, you knew it, you know it did. It met the need. But the second thing, and this is where it gets so good, your giving resulted in thanksgiving abounding to God. Listen to it from a couple of other translations. The, uh, what do I have here? The NIV, 2 Corinthians 9, 12 says, this service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing. There it is again, overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Overflowing in many expressions many expressions of thanks to God. So we all have opportunity in life to be in one of these two groups, to be in the group that was so blessed and expressed that thanksgiving or to be in the group that did the giving and caused them to be thankful. But whatever group you're in at whatever time in life, we move from one to the other. The point is you're thankful all the time. Thankful, thankful, thankful. And you notice here, he said, your thanksgiving should be overflowing, overflowing thanksgiving with many expressions of thanks to God. Can I give you an example of what is not overflowing thanksgiving? Just a lifeless, dull, arms folded, no expression. You are not overflowing with thanksgiving. And people will say, we know I'm thankful in my heart. Okay. But he's talking about overflowing. Overflowing. I'm telling you this morning, you're not overflowing until it's coming out of your mouth. Until it's coming back out of you, up out of, in your heart, flowing out. That's overflow. And we are supposed to be, as Christians, as believers, as the saved, the redeemed, the baptized in the Holy Ghost, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, giving thanks continually, all the time, overflowing, overflowing with gratitude, overflowing with thanksgiving, always coming up out of our mouths. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, God, you've been so good. Thank you, 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 thank you. Thanks a lot, Lord. Thanks a lot, like a lot, a lot. Overflow. Have we been rejoicing always? Have we been praying without ceasing? And have we been overflowing with gratitude? Or can we come up? The answer is yes, we can. We can come up in it. It's time for us to go back to some very foundational, basic principles here and take stock 
of what's coming out of our mouths. Pay attention to what you're overflowing with. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, what's going to happen? Your mouth will speak. You think you may have some things hidden? And maybe you've got some people fooled for a little bit of time. But if we stick around you long enough, and especially if we're around you when you get squeezed a little bit, we're all nothing more than a tube of toothpaste. When you squeeze that thing, whatever's in it is coming out. Whatever's in your heart will come out of your mouth. And you may think, oh, I'm a thankful person. I'm a grateful person. But if it's not coming out of your mouth, what do we know? It's not actually in your heart. We're to be overflowing with this. Just a couple of more minutes here. Go with me, please, to the book of Ephesians. Let's check out some things that are supposed to be coming out of our mouths. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 1, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children, and do what? Walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. So the command here is to walk in love. Now, what I want to do is back up to a few verses before this and then read to a few verses after it. And I want you to make note of how much of your love walk has to do with what's coming out of your mouth. Now, we know that love is not just supposed to be in word, right? It's supposed to be in word and in deed. But don't let that first part get past you. It's supposed to be in word and deed. I want you to notice here how much of your love walk, fulfilling the love command, has to do with what's coming out of your mouth. Back up to chapter 4. Let me read several verses to you. Just, just keep up with me here. Start in verse 17. He says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. There's supposed to be a difference between you and the rest of this world. Because of the blindness of their heart, he said, who, being past feeling, have give, given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ. What's he saying? Don't be surprised when the world acts like the world. Don't be surprised when the world looks like the world. Don't let it shock you. Don't let it knock you off your chair. Don't let it surprise you. It's the world, but you be different. Your life, my life is supposed to be different. Because we, verse 20, have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus that you put off, put off. Study these words and they literally are, are the words you would use to describe when you change your clothes. You take one thing off in an effort to put something else on. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man. Put off the old man which grows uh, corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on. Same thing. Put off the old clothes, put on the new ones. Put off the old man, put on the new one. That you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Now look at this, verse 25. All that to say this. Therefore, putting away or putting off lying lying. This may come as a huge shock, but you cannot walk in love with somebody and lie to them at the same time. You can't do it. Lying is not walking in love. Lying is loving yourself more. You lie to somebody because you love your own feelings. You're trying to protect yourself, cover yourself, but you're not loving them. So he said, put away lying. So here's the first thing that we need to watch what's coming out of our mouth. No more lying. Somebody say, no more lying. <laughs> Would you have to write to a church and say, no more lying? That's what he's doing. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. This is the same chapter where he said, speaking the truth in love. Love speaks the truth. He goes on to say in verse 26, be angry, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Lying gives place to the devil. 
Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Verse 29, we're back to our words. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification. That word means building up. Corrupt means corrupt, corrupting. It pulls down. It destroys. He's saying, don't, don't put those words in your mouth but only what is good for necessary edification, building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Grace words build up. Speaking grace to each other edifies, builds one another up. And you're going to read through some of this, and you're going to find out here through these scriptures, there are things that do not belong in the mouth of a believer. I told you a few minutes ago about this new puppy. I forgot how much like newborns they are. I feel like we're constantly saying to little Gus right now, get that out of your mouth. Get that out of your mouth. Stop chewing on that. No, you can't eat that. Get that out of your mouth. Get that out of your mouth. If you've been there with either a puppy or a newborn, you've said that before. Get that out of your mouth. Can I tell you what the Spirit of God is saying to this church this morning? There have been some things in our mouths and he said, get that out of your mouth. Corrupt words, corrupting words, words that pull down, words that destroy. If you listen to the Holy Spirit, you know what he'll say? Get that out of your mouth. Get that out of your mouth. He said, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you. Get that stuff out of your mouth. Get evil words out of your mouth. Get angry words out of your mouth. It's grieving the Holy Spirit. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is where he goes right into chapter five and says, therefore, be an imitator. Be an imitator of God as dear children and walk in love which has so much to do with what's coming out of your mouth. As Christ has also loved us, given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, verse 3 is where he changes into a totally other gear, and I hope you're ready for this. Yeah. Verse 3, But fornication and uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you, as is fitting. Somebody say fitting. fitting. As is fitting for saints. What just happened? You ever heard the expression, that escalated quickly? Well, that escalated quickly. We're talking about kind words, loving words, and he just changes gears and says, oh yeah, fornication, adultery, uncleanness, covetousness. He says, don't even let these things be named among you. When he's talking about naming, he's talking about identity. Don't let these things be a part of your identity. He says they're not fitting. They're not fitting for saints. Those things fit the world. So don't be shocked and surprised when you hear about fornication in the world. Don't be shocked and surprised when you hear about covetousness and greediness and uncleanness in the world. I'm saying this because so many church people see it in the world and they're just like, oh, 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 oh. they just can't even believe it. It's the world. It's the world. Don't be shocked, okay? But he is saying, don't let it be named among you. Anybody agree with that? That those things should not be the part or a part of the identity of the body of Christ. They should not be a part of the identity of Legacy Church. Come on, I'm preaching. Is anybody hearing me? Those things are not supposed to be a part of this identity. And I know people have missed it. We've all missed it in all kinds of ways. And thank God for the blood and thank God for his mercy. And we're not here judging anybody. God is good and he's faithful. And if you cry out to him, he'll restore you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. But I'm telling you, we can, by the help of his Holy Spirit, go our whole lives long without having these things named among us. He said they don't fit you. Yes. Yes. He's already talked about your clothes. Put off the old ones. Why? They don't fit anymore. Put off the old clothes. Go change. That looks terrible on you. It looks terrible on you. How many of you think that fornication does not look good on the believer? 
adultery, uncleanness, covetousness. That's not a good look. It's not a good look on a pastor. It's not a good look on a believer. So what do you do? Go change. Go, go change. Get that off. Put on the new man. But listen to what he says. It gets worse and better at the same time. He says, verse four, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Huh. In the same breath that he talks about adultery, fornication, sex outside of marriage, in the same breath that he talks about uncleanness and covetousness, you know what else he talks about? Dirty jokes. Cursing. Listen to it from another translation. I don't know that we have this one. This is the Aramaic Bible in plain English. He says, neither abusive language, neither worthless words, nor of disgrace, disgrace. What does grace do? Edifies. What does disgrace do? Pulls down. He says, nor of nonsense, these things that are unnecessary, but in place of these, thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. The contemporary English version says, don't use dirty or foolish or filthy words. Instead, say how thankful you are. Now you were all on board about 90 seconds ago when all of us were like, yes, brother, no fornication in the church. Yes, no covetousness, no, no uncleanness. And then he started hammering our words. And he starts talking about worthless words, foul language, empty words. And he's saying, these don't look any better on you than adultery. These words don't look, these words don't fit you. Has anybody else noticed that the language in the world has just gotten raunchier and raunchier? and more and more foul, it has become, it's like an every other word kind of thing. I know you've noticed this before. I know you've stepped into environments and atmospheres where it seems like everybody in the place just uses words. And you were, if you were to stop and think and say, man, can I ask you, why did you use that word there? It makes no sense. They don't even know they're doing it. Don't even realize they're saying it. But guess what? It's the world. Don't let it shock you. Don't let it surprise you. It's the world. I have been on 16 different airplanes in the last six weeks. Y'all believing with me for this airplane? For <laughs> and uh, one, one trip in particular, Sarah and I and the kids were headed somewhere to a conference. She and I sat down. It was Rose a four, two on one side of the aisle, two on the other. She and I sat on this side. The kids sat next to each other on this side. And there was a couple that sat down behind them. And they started talking. And every other word was so foul. And our kids are looking across the aisle at us. Like, what do we do? What do we do? I just said, calm down. And I just kind of looked back there at this couple. I think maybe they got the picture. I just want to be like, hey, you got kids in front of you? And they always make the announcement on the airplane, um, no outside alcohol, please, on the airplane. You know, when you own your own ministry airplane, nobody has to say that. Because we don't have any on there. But I look back and this man and this woman are hide, they've got this little alcohol bottle and they're hiding it and they're pouring it in their bottles and stuff. This is the kind of atmosphere you and I are in all the time. We're out there and that's the culture of the world we're living in. Fine, don't let it be named among you. Amen. Don't let that be a part of your identity. Amen. Are you with me? Yes, sir. These words should not be coming out of our mouths yeah. about anyone. Unless, of course, it's the president and you don't agree with his politics. <laughs> hmm? Is that okay? No. 
then it's okay to fly a flag that cusses and curses the president. Why? Well, you know, I don't agree with his politics, so obviously that's a, no. Don't let it be named. It doesn't fit you. It fits them fine. It doesn't fit you. It's not a good look on you. That's the old man. And when you put that stuff on, you know what the Holy Spirit says? What are you wearing? What, what is this? This is so last season. Go take that off. Put on the new man. And did you notice what he said we're supposed to be doing instead of talking like that? Instead, he said, give thanks. You know what that means? That means as much as they're cussing, you should be thanking. As much as they're cursing, you should be praising. You should be blessing. There's a man who's gone on to heaven now, a man named John Osteen. Maybe you've heard of his son, Joel. Well, his dad, John Osteen, a good friend of my grandfather's, lived and preached and ministered years ago. And there's a story he used to tell. He got on an elevator one time in a hotel. And he got on there, and there was two other guys on this elevator. And these two guys, he said, had the foulest mouth you'd ever heard. They're standing there just cussing and cursing, and God blanked this, and Jesus Christ, and one thing right after another. And he said, right in the middle of it, he just starts going, thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Lord God. Oh, I love you, and I worship you, and I praise you. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Lord. And they stopped and looked at him, and he said, if you're going to curse him, I'm going to praise him, and I demand equal time. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we praise you. Lord, we praise you. Well, isn't that an awkward situation? Yeah, it is. Get over it. Deal with it. That's their identity. It's not yours. That is what they're wearing. That ain't what we're wearing. That, that stuff doesn't fit us anymore. What fits us? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You've been so good to me. You've been so faithful to me. Thank you for healing me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for redeeming me. I'm not saying you got to go shout this in anybody's face you ever hear say a cuss word. But I'm saying they ought to know this about you the way we know that about them. Get around that guy. He might just start thanking God. For what? I don't know. Every, everything? Yes. Yes. In everything, I give thanks. In every situation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. When I know what to do, thank you, Lord. When I don't know what to do, thank you, Lord. When I'm feeling good, Thank you, Lord. When I'm hurting all over, thank you, Lord. You're not hurting him or thanking him for the pain. You're thanking him for the way out. You're thanking him out for you're thanking him for healing. You're thanking him for delivering you. When it looks good around you, what do you say? Thank you, Lord. When it looks anything but good around you, what do you say? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You'd be like Brother John. People start cursing God around you, you start blessing God. I demand equal time, he said. Amen. 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 Glory to God. I'll give you this last verse. You can stand with me and we'll be done. But the book of James, maybe we'll go over this in greater detail later, but you're familiar with James chapter three that talks about taming your tongue. And he's, he says in there that your whole body, what you're feeling in your body, the direction your body is going is the result of what's coming out of your mouth. He said, we put bits in a horse's mouth to steer him and direct him. He said, we put rudders on a ship to steer the ship. When your life's heading in a direction that's not good and you don't like it, you need to turn the ship around, don't you? Yes. How do you do it? With the rudder. You do it with the words that are coming out of your mouth. But he goes on in that same chapter in James chapter 3, and he says, he says, with our mouths, we bless God and we curse our brother who's made in the image of God. He said, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. And you know what he said? This ought not be. We might say it like this. That's not a good look. You know what looks good on you? Gratitude. Gratitude looks good on you. The Good News translation of James chapter 3 verse 10 says, words of thanksgiving and cursing pour out of the same mouth. My friends, this should not happen. No spring of water pours out sweet water and bitter water from the same opening. 
What should be flowing out all the time? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And as you've heard Sarah say countless times, if you spend all your time blessing, which is thanking, you have no time for cursing. Your heart is the spring and whatever's in it is going to overflow out of it. What should be flowing out of the mouth all the time? Thank you. Thank you. Somebody just say it now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And it is always appropriate at any time, at any point, through any day, for those words to come out of your mouth. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. If you're standing in a place and it's quiet, nobody's saying anything and, and nobody knows what to say, you go ahead and just say, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Gratitude flowing out all the time because this is what looks good on you. This is what fits you. This is what fits you like it was tailor-made for you. I'll even go as far as to say this. Gratitude makes you good looking. <laughs> Gratitude makes you attractive. Hmm. Foul language, cursing all the time. And I'm not just talking about cursing as in four-letter words. That's certainly a part of it. But cursing in a sense of belittling, minimizing, not being thankful for it. That is unattractive. You get around people like that, you spend enough time around them, you leave feeling beat up. You leave feeling exhausted. But grateful people are good looking. Grateful people, there's an attractiveness about it. It attracts people to you because it looks good on you. Say it out loud. Gratitude looks good on me. Thankfulness fits me good. Thanksgiving fits me well. Amen. This is what we're going to spend our time with. And we're going to give thanks a lot. A lot of thanks. Somebody say it. Lord, thanks a lot. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.